we always say it's kind of one of the most sustainable things you can do is just create great lasting timeless architecture you know because ultimately there's embodied energy and building materials in, in anything you do so make sure it's good hi hello 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 and welcome to architecting one two testing one two let's just start <laughs> hi I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host of Architecting, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Hey, so today we have a couple of architects. We have a couple. We have <laughs> architects that are a couple. Another married couple who have a firm together. They they found each other at CU Boulder. Then they went off to Australia and New York and then came back to Aspen and founded a firm. Is it Roland Broughton? No, I think it's pronounced Roland Broughton. Oh, Roland Broughton. Mm-hmm. No, but these these guys are great, Sarah and John. Uh, they're just a lot of fun, especially Sarah. She's she's really amped up and. Uh, I can't can't like say a f- favorite. No. No. This couple to me is pretty impressive as an architect couple owning a firm together where they are, they put out high design, um, but then also seem like they are good business people as well. Um, are those two mutually exclusive? Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, they, the firm is like 40 people wow. large and they were just very open and available with with information like they put a big emphasis on sharing and just sharing information and sharing their experiences and in the bonus we get into more um talking about kind of kind of business and and running a firm and they just seem like they're they have fun doing it and uh they live and breathe design cool i'm excited to listen in the beginning of the show we we they're asking me about a, a architecting happy hour that they weren't able to attend, and then getting into talking about the AIA design conference that we had just listened to that week. So this was a few weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> solid, solid background <laughs> information. Uh, and and I had some technical difficulties with this, uh, some weird echoes and things, and so. Um, this was actually recorded before the Harry Teague interview, and we talk a little bit about him. But if if you're like a really hardcore listener and you you hear the podcast out of, out of order, that's why. Don't you roll your eyes. Can't see me rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> There's people who dive pretty deep into this podcast. <laughs> anyway, enjoy. Many of our listeners are familiar with Herman Miller, a 100-plus-year-old company known for its rich legacy in modern designs, ergonomics, and thought leadership. For Colorado, Workplace Resource is the certified platinum dealership representing Herman Miller, and we are proud to support the Colorado design community. Whether you are in the market for a functional and stylish home office setup or exploring a broader solution to outfit your entire workplace, we are the partner you can trust. The local teams with Herman Miller and Workplace Resource can connect you with research and insights, create a high-performing work environment, especially in this current shift with the way we work. We encourage you to explore our future of Work Hub for more information, and the link is in the bio. Conceptual Thought Starters, 
Not sure what type of solution works best? Browse our planning ideas to start the conversation. You can download Revit files and full tools to really help dial in your solution for your floor plan. And lastly, full project design, specification, and installation for small businesses to full campuses. Workplace resource is really the place to begin. Be sure to connect with our team. We look forward to supporting our design partners in the Colorado community. And in the meantime, please enjoy architecting. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. So where are you guys at today? Are you Denver We're Aspen. or Aspen? Nice. Do I have anything in my teeth? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what's good about a podcast, right? Uh, How was your event last night? It was, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, I'd say we probably had 20 to 30 people show up. I feel like it was all the guys. There's just about two women there and that's it. But um, Have you been listening to any of the AIA conference? Yeah, I listened to pretty much all of it. Um, I think I saw you guys on some of those. Yeah, you know, I, it got better, you know, as it kept going. And um, both John and I, we did, we, you know, because it's all remote, we didn't know we both, like, what we had been listening to and not. And so we had a friend over for dinner last night, and we were commenting how great Trey was um, from New Orleans. Just really amazing. He could have been the whole conference. <laughs> yeah. He's really interesting. I mean, their work is so good. He's such like a Louisiana guy, right? But has a pretty far reach. And yeah, I'd never heard him speak before. Uh, just very gentlemanly. Yeah. I just loved the the questions about beauty and elegance and empathy. It just really struck a chord with me. Yeah. And being nice. Mm-hmm. This profession nice. is sometimes not nice uh, on a lot of ends. What do you think about that? Has that always been a... You know, a sort of thing that people talk about, or is it just so much more now? I don't think people talk about it, but I think it's interesting. I, I just submitted for my FA at my fellowship mm. this week. And nice. um, part of my summary statement is really about sharing knowledge. And part of the feedback I got from colleagues really all over the country was, you know, that I share a ton of knowledge and it's just, you know, very open in a profession that historically is not open. And I think that that's one thing that was really successful about a virtual conference. I think the panels were almost more successful because you could really just listen and not have questions from the audience and you know what I mean? And and, and kind of be really up close and personal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we need to share. And it's really interesting. Even I'm finding within our team, we're finding that we're doing a ton of professional development coaching with our team. And part of that is around sharing hmm. and different ways that you share. And I, but I think our education, and you would know better than us because you're in the education space, but so much of it is group projects, right? And sometimes sharing comes uh, spontaneous, you know, just in the moment, in the studio. Yeah. But I think sharing and not having a fear of failure almost go hand in hand. 
mm-hmm. and being okay with not being perceived as, as perfect. You know what I mean? Because there's a vulnerability to sharing yeah. that I think is really critical if you're going to really open up. Yeah. And it does seem like culturally there's a more of a backlash now against those people who would attack you, you know, uh, towards openness and towards mental health. And uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting kind of what it's doing to the discussions around like uh, studio crits and things, right, about how you present feedback and sort of what students can almost take in a way, you know, or why we do these things that we've done so long. But um, yeah, no, it is very interesting. And even, you know, us having our careers for 25 years, and we've seen a big transformation, as I'm sure every generation has. And we're not the same leaders we were a year ago, five hmm. years ago, 10 years ago. And we're constantly evolving around these, a lot of these topics and this relevancy. And it's all about not because we have to, because we want to. It's like, how do we get the best out of everybody? And so you have to approach people, you know, in order to get the best out of them. And a lot of what like we're coaching with our emerging leaders is you can't approach everyone the same way. So it's hmm. really, and it takes more time. But you really have to understand and you have to do it quickly how to really um, get to someone that's going to be the most impactful and meaningful, that's going to get the best back, you know, and have them not either get, you know, in a corner or, you know, so that they feel like they can grow and that they have agency. And so um, that's something that we talk about all the time where it's really rewarding to us, you know, the best thing to us it's when people have those aha moments when they're mm. practicing and they're and they've done it for a few years and all of a sudden you can just see it in them the light bulbs going off and it's like oh my gosh this is why we do this or this is what you've been saying or coaching us on and that is just the best when that happens it's really rewarding and it's for them it's like worthy of celebration yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you're saying we're not the same leaders we were a year ago or two years ago and it's interesting, again, like the conference of how we're kind of closer in some ways when we're remote, right? Uh, but then that idea of how you're coaching your staff, I mean, it's probably changed a ton, right? Of how you mentor remotely or... Totally. And that was some of my questions to Dana in her breakout from shop. I was just so curious with 150 people and, you know, they seem so hands-on and we are also in our studio. And so how do you collaborate and more importantly mentor? And it's interesting, like... We just spent three weeks in Italy, which was just mm. amazing. And we went to Design Week in Milan. We toured around and it's already completely impacted our projects. You know, we, mm. we typically are you know, traveling quite a bit and haven't been for the last two years. And so to be able to do that and just have that fusion, right, that just like huge fusion of energy and of inspiration, it's been really awesome coming into our projects. And so we're in a two-story building here in Aspen and we just have everyone because we have you know probably five people that are in here every day right now so we have everyone moving upstairs to be right near us so that they can be you know we can all be hearing each other and just like be flowing and you know because I remember a lot of my education as an emerging professional was just sitting around other peers and hearing them on the phone and hearing how they were interacting with consultants and clients and it's really important yeah and that's been so hard with the remote thing, like you're saying, you miss out on the spontaneous interactions or miss out on the Italian chocolate that's brought back or uh, right? whatever. Exactly. We did bring treats. That's, yeah, I, that no, was wondering, I but that's why people that's why were, around were around you, around. you know, yeah. get, get the, uh, yeah. Treats. But I, I give feedback to one of our, you know, team members today. She's amazing. But like, you should call me. She didn't leave a voicemail and we need to talk. 
right? Because I like got in touch with her. I was like, please always leave voicemails, please. Uh, like, <laughs> I yeah. am not going through my recent to see who called me. Like, I go to my voicemail to see who's called me and if they've left, a, you know what I mean? So I think we're just being a lot more direct with our mentoring and coaching and not missing opportunities and really just like being really forthright about it. Yeah. Now, this is funny. You know, I've wanted to meet you guys for a long time, and I just love this podcast because I get an opportunity to message you and get this to work out. And it's funny. Yeah, we've never talked before, and it's sort of leading me into this question of who are you? But I think it's funny. I can already start to tell kind of a dynamic where, Sarah, you've been talking so much and uh, a nice kind of balance between you. So who are you guys? Sarah's the boss. Sarah's the boss. Got it. John's the boss. I think we have a great yin and yang approach to life. Uh, not just in the studio and just who we are as people and we embrace that. Um, but, um, you know, we, we, uh, live and breathe design. It, it, it's with us all day in the studio. It goes home with us. It's on the weekends. It's, you know, in the mornings at nights. So it's, um, I, you know, I don't, I, I as a designer, I don't, you can't stop it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a freight train. It just, it just flows. And, and having somebody in your life that you're spending, you know, quality time on the weekends at night, you can talk about these things and it doesn't stop. It's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I really admire about John, and I think we do have a, a very yin-yang relationship and we bob and weave constantly. And I think sometimes it can be to the confusion of our team, kind of like, well, who's in charge of what? And we definitely are principal in charge of different projects, but when it comes to just the firm and um, marketing and running of the firm, like we definitely have this, kind of unspoken understanding of where we just need to step in for each other. Um, but what I really admire about John is, you know, John, you start your day every day, really like looking at inspiration and, and you're just, you know, you're on the blogs, you are looking at up and coming, amazing resorts that are happening or, you know, just looking at designers. Um, and so that is really inspiring to me and, and bringing that into our team. And so, I love that. And I think that that really works well with what we're doing and just talking about design and everything we do. Um, you know, obviously we're running a business and there's that component to it, but that's what's really neat. And I think the 18 years we've had our firm, um, people are so much more interested in design, right? Hmm. Like our clients, they just, it's so, so much more of a mainstream conversation, right? And it's so much more accessible in some ways. So that passion and that experience of being really relevant with what's happening, you know, being traveled, um, our clients really appreciate that. And quite frankly, demand it. Yeah. They want that. True. I'm married to an architect and we had a firm for a little bit. And it was right when we got married, uh, very young, and sort of marriage and profession by fire. And we sort of got good at designing together. Uh, and then we've kind of been working at different firms. And now I just started a firm with another friend. And so I'm trying to figure that all out again of sort of like, what's the lanes? How do the lanes overlap? What's the roles? When did you guys get that dialed in? <laughs> yeah. How long? Good question. Wednesday or? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, one thing that we talk about is being a Swiss Army knife. Hmm. And um, I think early on, you definitely want to stay in your lane and just focus. But as your career starts you know, expanding, um, you become more of a Swiss Army knife. And you can be able to handle a lot more uh, complexity and tension 
in design, your range is bigger. So um, I think it just comes over time. So, yeah, but I think if you, you know, if I were starting over with Sarah again, I mean, we'd probably do the same thing. It's like, how do we pivot? How do we cover each other? Who steps in where? And it's, it actually, we don't really have to talk about it that much. It's just, it's seamless. It happens. I think, you know, when we started our careers, we were working for different firms, so we were always working at night and weekends on competitions. Mm. And, and so I think we had been honing that for a long time, and we also went to school together. You know, so it's kind of always been part of our DNA and who we are as a, as a couple and as a partnership. But, yeah, I think try different things. And that's what we do. And just reflect. And I think the best thing that we do and it's advice that we've received over the years is if something's not working, change pretty quickly. Hmm. Just make change and, and don't overthink it and and just try it another way. Yeah. Keep it all collaborative mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. Nice. So all collaborative. So let's get to the backgrounds a little bit. So you went to school together, but where did you guys grow up? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, hmm. and then uh, found my way out to Colorado in the um, early 90s. And Sarah? Uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, ah. and um, I went to see you, and that's where I met John. Met in the middle. Yeah. So why did you, each of you choose CU? What did that decision look like? For me, um, I kind of always wanted to be an architect, but I've always been really um, inspired by out- the outdoors. And so the idea of going to CU Boulder, where I could be you know, close to both, was something that was really awesome for me. And so I just took that opportunity to do that. And then you know, being in the climate here after, you know, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, is, it's really beautiful, that temperate rainforest. And, and what you get there is unbelievable and, and you know, great urban planning and things. But, um, but coming, I was really interested in going into a different environment and coming to Colorado um, is quite different. And so that also was something that really appealed to me. Hmm. Why do you always want to be an architect? What does always mean? Yeah, I grew up, you know, drawing floor plans and just being really spatial and, and always through school was very artistic in my endeavors, um, but also really loved math um, mm-hmm. and loved that problem solving aspect of, you know, kind of being in higher level math classes. And so when it came time to think about going to college, um, just kind of really put the two together and just said, wow, this is, this is it. And so... Did you have an architect in the family or something that you could see? or you? No, I did have the good fortune of growing up. I grew up in an English tutor house from the 1920s. And so um, that really actually had a profound effect on me in terms of being in really thoughtful design. Um, it's traditional, but it's very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And so that's something you had the opportunity of seeing that house yeah. early in our relationship. And so that really stuck with me. Hmm. And John, you didn't always want to be an architect. I see you went to business school. I, uh, yeah, I, I did have a little stint in business school, but growing up, my favorite subject was art. And hmm. um, I think on sophomore year in high school, I stopped doing art and was going to go on to a business track in college. And, and uh, halfway through that, I was like, this is, I'm not fulfilled by this at all. Yeah. And so I notified my parents that I'm moving to Colorado. And they're like, who do you know in Colorado? I was like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> But I'm moving, and I'd never been. It was some kind of an epiphany that was drawing me huh. out here. And, uh, so, you know, growing up, my father's friends, a lot of them were in the business and the construction industry. And so on weekends, spending time on the job site, seeing a house half-framed. Mm. 
without any drywall. And yeah. I was just blew my mind. I was like, okay, I got to know more about this. Well, I think you grew up with a father. John's parents were really young when they had him, you know, like 18 years. So they, he grew up with them and you grew up with your father starting a business. Yeah. And so you were around in kind of an entrepreneurial spirit as well, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of, I think, gave you the confidence and then for gave me the confidence to start our firm. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that you didn't know what you were doing by doing business first, but those seem like the smartest architects who do get a business degree first and then go into architecture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then you guys met at school. What were kind of the big takeaways for you at CU and the kind of people or ideas that were floating around at the time? I love the program at CU Boulder. It was all encompassing. It was a very um, obviously environmental design. Um, wasn't really just focusing on, okay, we're going to teach you how to be an architect. It was thinking about everything. So, um, in fact, Sarah, I think you wanted to be a landscape architect coming out of that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that flexibility. I wanted to be an urban designer. And my first job out of school was in New York working for Cooper Robertson doing master plan work. Um, so I gradually uh, phased myself back into architecture. So. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think. What I really appreciate about the education that we had um, in the environmental design program is it really taught us critical thinking and problem solving. And that is something that has really bowed us well over the course of our career. And I think given kind of the wide subject matter that you're exposed to, you know, obviously within the structure of design studios was really informative to us. I used to loathe going to Joe Uhas' class. (laughs) I don't know if you recall him, but uh, we read books and watch movies and we have huge discussions and a huge lecture hall about it. And I was like, oh, this is so pointless. I don't get this. And I totally understand it now where he was coming from. He was extracting your brain and critical thinking. Yeah, those are the best. So you really sort of uh, have one studio that might be landscape and one that's urbanism and one that's architecture. Is that how it works? You kind of sample all of that within the environmental design program? Yeah, they're design studios, but then they have, you know, obviously the studio project and it varies. You know, some is more urban design focused, you know, depending on which year you're in. But even, you know, Spencer Havelock um, with, you know, a lot of the environmental assessments. Yeah, assessments. Um, so within that weaving through, it was definitely exposure to a lot of different subject matters and then bringing it culminating in studio projects. Um, so, you know, I just think it's a really great program. We're huge advocates of it and supporters of the EMPD program. So then you graduated and John, you said, okay, enough of Colorado. Let me try New York. Actually, Sarah, uh, our internship, I was working for the Stapleton Redevelopment Foundation. Hmm. Um, on the big master planning side of it. And Sarah's working for EDAW, which is now AECOM. And had, she had an opportunity to go to Sydney, Australia and uh, work on the Olympic Village. And I went down there as well and worked for the competing firm because at that time it was still a competition. So that was pretty exciting. And, and uh, then we found our way to New York. And uh, I think that's where the real growth happened. Um, it's uh, very demanding to work in New York in any field and we were working uh on a normal week was 60 hours a week mm. and then it went up from that yeah <laughs> you talk about the growth rate of of uh, an intern through that experience really catapulted us and we we advanced pretty quick because you didn't really have a choice you 
it was a sink or swim environment. Mm-hmm. Where were you working, yeah. Sarah? I was working for Clement and Halsman, and pretty interesting. Frances Halsman was the first female AIA president in New York City, and a, a husband and wife team, mm. a forty-person firm, and working on more institutional type projects. And I agree with you, John. I think your know, experience in New York was exponential in terms of just the exposure, just being in a city like that um, on a daily basis and having it be a melting pot, very international, you know, being around colleagues and, you know, kind of with that breadth um, was really, really great. Yeah. That seems like the biggest thing, right? Like just the amount of schools and the amount of architecture firms and the amount of things being built all around you and uh, just that sort of spark and flame that you get there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, hard to know, replicate. We would go to Columbia University, um, Cooper Union. Like we were going to lectures all the time. And the you know, Architecture League of New York. It just there were a lot of things available. Um, obviously, you had to be curious and interested to take advantage of it. Yeah. And we were. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really great. And a lot of the relationships that we made in New York and colleagues are still very close to us today. So then, how long were you there, and what ended it? Yeah, so um, we were there three and a half years. Three and a half years, four years, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, John really wanted to get back to Colorado. And so we started, you know, researching and John, you took the lead on that and really, you know, decided that Aspen was a good place to come back to. Aspen's a, you know, very rich community in terms of the culture, um, obviously nature, uh, the history. There's just a lot of things happening here that makes it not feel like you're coming back to, you know, small town USA. Yeah. That could be a strong culture shock. Yeah. It still was. Still was. Yeah. It still was. <laughs> but it's surprising this town, what it offers. You do not feel like you're in a 7,000 person town. It's yeah, it's big. So what kind of firm did you uh, guys both start working at and work were you doing? I started working with uh, Dave Gibson and it was a, three-person, four-person firm. Hmm. So I obviously I was touching everything practically. Um, and look, working hand-in-hand hand with David to, you know, take the vision of the project and implement it into construction drawings. And um, So that was fascinating. And uh, David, interesting enough, was uh, graduated from Yale. It was uh, Harry Teague, who Sarah worked for. They were friends back in the Yale days. So that was a, a nice little connection. So he recommended that I talk to Harry. So I worked with Harry Teague for three years. Um, and that was amazing. We had an awesome working relationship. And I had never worked on houses. And so, um, and that was something I was actually really interested in doing. So got the opportunity to work on and project manage with Harry. A couple really great houses that were very innovative and um, for great families. Huh. How big was his firm when you were there? You know, it was like 10 people. It was yeah, actually yeah. big at that time. Huh. Yeah. I'm interviewing him uh, on Monday. Oh, uh, he's great. Tell him hi. Awesome. Yeah, tell him hello. Yeah. Yeah. What was the sort of architectural community like then? Like, when when was that in the... It was 2000. 2000. Here, okay. 21 years ago. So it's a lot of the same firms, kind of like yeah. CCY and mm-hmm. Kunif. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but modernism hadn't really fully stepped into Aspen yet. There's... Well, it yeah. had in the 50s and the 60s, mm. and then it kind of went away. Right. But Harry yeah. was like, you know, full-on modernist. Uh, Studio B was doing their thing. But that was about it. 
Yeah. But now everybody's embraced it. I mean, there's still a lot of great traditional work being done here. But when we first got here, that was predominantly older. And John, so had you kept doing sort of urban design in New York and then made a strong switch when you moved to Aspen? Or was it a sort of gradual shift in New York? Yeah, it was gradual. While I was still in New York, I was working on a house up in Bedford, New York. Mm. Very interesting home, um, more Adirondack style. So that was a nice transition to coming out here for sure. And then did you work for POS? Did I see that? Yes. Yeah. 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 After uh, 9-11, um, things out slowed down everywhere. And then Dave Gibson, uh, his work uh, dried up a bit. So I went over to Paz's office for a year. So that was great. And Paz had a pretty big office. I, I can't remember how big it was at the time. It was over 20. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. So then what was that final moment where you're like, okay, let's do this. Let's start the firm. Yeah, I mean, it was really 9-11. Um, hmm. After that happened, John said he had to transition to another firm to keep working. I had been cut hours um, at Teves. And so it just seemed like a good time to start a firm. So you were still working and I was starting the firm. And you, John would work on it in the evening and on the weekends. And so that was 2003 hmm. when we started. And... Um, yeah, it just started from our kitchen table. We were working and living in a condo and started in 2003. And then in 2004, you know, things started really coming back hmm. economically. And, you know, it was really hard to get commercial space. Uh, we obviously wanted to keep overhead low. That time in Aspen, it was hard to get people to help um, us. And so we started our Denver studio in 2004. Hmm. So we really had parallel Aspen Denver studios for the whole time of our firm. Wow. Um, so we bought um, a live work loft space in the silver square lofts on 34th and Blake. Oh, and nice. so we live worked and started, we had three employees and John and I would drive down on Sunday or Monday and we'd come back on Fridays and we would work in Denver for the week with the team and we'd come back to Aspen and, and we did that for several years. Huh. That's really interesting. So and most of your projects were in Aspen or in the mountains. It was just hard to get those employees. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, we run a pretty rigorous studio. You know, we love people who are curious and interested like us and have a lot of passion. And we were able to find that, I think, more endeavor at that time. And also it gave us another foot in the urban environment, which, you know, we had lost leaving New York. So mm -hmm. that was... Yeah. That was refreshing. Really great. And just having access to the design center and just, you know, just uh, colleagues in Denver, the dialogue that's happening. It was, um, I think to us, it was really great to have. Yeah. It is and still is, obviously. Yeah. That seems nice, that balance you guys have. Mm -hmm. What was the first project? What did that look like? We were living in um, our condo and it was at the time not even a good friend. He's since become like a brother from another mother. He's mm -hmm. one of our best friends, uh, but he, he uh, hired us to do his condo. Huh. And so we did his uh, a condo remodel. And then we really did quite a few condo remodels the first couple of years. Huh. Um, and so our big thing was build a portfolio, build a portfolio, build a portfolio. Um, and, and we really believed that would show, you know, really what we could do. And so we started kind of doing it and others followed and then, you know, we got our first, you know, kind of house, like in 2004, you know, kind of at the same time we were doing condos and just kind of keep, kept building in terms of scale and complexity. And that's been good. I think we're always, we run our firm that we focus on you know, what we have right now and we're very present in what we're doing. And so I think that that has 
been nice for us. And it's yeah. something that we coach our team and just, you know, kind of don't fret about tomorrow or think hmm. about tomorrow. It's like, let's focus on today and do today really well. Huh. That's some good perspective. You know, such ups and downs. Yeah. And it's a, it, you it's can a, never it's project. A and, yeah. Well, I mean, you can, wow. you can easily get lost in like, okay, I got to go and find the next project, mm. you know, while you have all these other projects. But if you don't do a great job on those projects that you have right there, that's your best marketing that you can do. Mm. New projects will come. Huh. So. Yeah, we actually just did this business. We did this graphic for our team. We have four new owners of our company, which is really exciting. Wow. And, and wow. we had... Um, for people, um, you know, purchase shares of the company this spring, which we're really excited about. And it's kind of one of the most rewarding things so far for us in our firm. And so we're coaching, you know, business development. And so, you know, one of the best things with business development is just, like John said, like project manage really well. And it just shortens that loop, right? Because then it becomes referral and repeat business. And it's the best thing you can do. It's good to know. My partner is like a real perfectionist and I'll be like, let's get it done faster. Let's, you know, let's find another project or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, no, we got to do this one right. Yeah. Yes, you're right. It's good. Mm -hmm. That sounds like you guys have a big yin yang and that's good. Don't lose that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think John and I have that and, you know, we'll be like, we got to bake this. Like we're really into editing and that iterative editing process takes time. And I think the longer you've been at it and the more you'll know, have more confidence in saying that to clients and saying, no, this is the time it takes to do this well. Mm. Um, and what we're doing has such a lasting impact and there's so much embodied energy in it that clients and patrons, they should want that process. And I think it was interesting in some of the conversations that were happening this week at the AIA conference what I was thinking is, is a lot of our urban environments are reactive, right? I think we all get really reactive. And so it's like stopping, but you've got to do this fast as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. So you can't take a long time to do this, but you have to stop, evaluate what's going on and be like, what's the best kind of long-term solution or decision we're going to be making right now? And it's really easy, especially in the times we've just had to be reactive. And so we really work on balancing being proactive and reactive and it's very conscious i think jared talked about this in the seminars like you know for any major motor company you know they work for years on the prototype yeah and then it goes to the assembly line it's like we're building the prototype and that's it yeah so you, <laughs> you gotta do it right there's yeah. no scrapping that and starting over yeah I thought it was interesting, that idea of the prototype, you know, where you get to kind of project 10 years down the road of what you want cars to look like, right? And get yeah. people excited for that. Yeah, yeah. And with architecture, yeah, you get your one chance and then you hopefully move on. And Right. Uh, well, and I thought, you know, I was even talking to, you know, you know, one of our team members today just about, you know, again, we're going back to being reactive. Like our whole industry is, is quite reactive. Architects are less so than engineers, but... Um, you know, we're so reliant on contractors and you know, we're only as good as the bricklayer, really, at the, at the end of the day, right? So it's how do we bring them along and really take these things that we're learning in conferences or, you know, articles we're reading, discussions we're having with colleagues, and how do we, you know, kind of all the boats, you know, rise together. And so that is something I'm very keenly interested in and, and something that we talk a lot about and we talk about it as a team you know how do we sprinkle this stuff out to a broader audience and to the people even outside of architecture world 
because we need everyone thinking along these lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like that idea of shortening the loop, right? Of getting better educated clients and... Well, and I think it goes back to sharing where we kind of started this conversation and just being open and willing to share and Mm. nothing should be proprietary, really. It really should be about, there's so much that we need to be doing right now that it can be overwhelming, right? And so the more we can just kind of be throwing it out there, see what sticks at the wall and just see whatever nugget of stuff that we've just learned or what we can learn from someone else, you just never know where it's going to go. Yeah. What's been the most sort of successful vehicle for sharing information for you guys lately? What does that look like? Probably one-on-one engagements with our colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone like Chad Oppenheim, he's a friend. Mm-hmm. He, he lives, he lived here during the pandemic and we spent quite a bit of time with mm-hmm. him and, you know, like hiking the bowl and <laughs> skiing. And like, literally we talk shop the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, talk about design, talk about running a firm and, you know, those kind of engagements. Mm-hmm. I think are really powerful. And, yeah. Yeah. and especially with him, I mean, he's got an office in Switzerland, right? And New York yeah, and Miami. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when you're able to touch all those places at once. And, you know, but we're all doing the same stuff. Mm. And they even talked about that this week. You know, it's like, you know, let's not talk about how we're different, but like how we're actually the same. You know, and, and like we're all mm. running for, we're all trying to tackle the same issues. So again, if we can be joined and share, it's, you know, really fantastic. And we're collaborating with Perkins and Will right now on a project mm-hmm. in Denver. And, you know, for us, uh, we're a 40 person firm. And for us to be working with a thousand plus person firm of their um, experience is awesome. And we tap into it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I met with their principal of sustainability a month ago with our mm-hmm. sustainable sustainability committee within our firm. And I'm like, what can we learn from you? What are the things that you would, you know, tell us to do that? What are the most important things? And so I think being open and asking a lot of questions and, you know, we really made a conscious decision multiple years ago. And it's really, you know, part of the ethos of our firm is, you know, we want team members and clients and colleagues that mentor us as much as we mentor them. Mm. And we really approach every relationship with that. And so that, was really opening. Yeah. Hmm. Just that conscious decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does your idea of community look like? It's interesting, again, bridging between Denver and Aspen and that idea of sharing. Mm -hmm. Sort of a broad question, but how do you take it? Probably that common thread is the art community. Mm. We're definitely really active with um, a lot of different institutions here in Aspen and in Denver. Um, And that clientele that we really aspire to work with are all engaged in that community too, which is great. So as far as one of those things that we really targeted a long time ago, we're like our clients who really get us are patrons of art. Yeah. Yeah. I think also um, we're very involved with historic preservation and that's something that's really important to us. Uh, We own historic buildings and run our studios out of historic buildings above Aspen and Denver. And so the idea of stewardship and legacy is something that really drives us as owners and as human beings. We really try to lead by example. We really don't look at what we're doing as just us. We really are thinking about what's it going to be in 100 years and what's our footprint and what's our legacy. And not from an ego perspective, but more how do we leave it better? Mm-hmm. What's been a project that really sums up all those ideas or where you guys just nailed it? What did that look like? 
um, from a historic standpoint, maybe the building we're in right now, the Mesa building, mm. it was on the market for seven years and nobody wanted to touch it. Really? It, it you know, started seeing a lot of uh, deferred maintenance. You know, it, it was our favorite building when we first drove into town. We were like, whoa, look at that beautiful building. And it's, you know, a turn of the century storefront building, two stories, which is rare. They're usually one story. And it's got a covered porch that comes all the way out to the street. Uh, which balloon is framing. Balloon framing. Mm. So uh, that was really exciting to get into that, take it down to its studs, and give it its, its new life for its next 150 years. Mm. But I think also we love the business side of it and, and financing of this project was very challenging. Mm. Um, and trying to, it took us six months. We had it in our contract just to figure out how we could do the project. And so engaging and, and creating a lot next door, doing a lot split and the value of that lot that we created became collateral for our loan. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it's even in the last year, we just got historic tax credits for the work we did. So it's been a really um, full circle in terms of what we've had to do and kind of pulling on, I think, every background we have um, in order to figure it out. Um, it wasn't simple. And is that a part of your firm as well of sort of trying to develop your own projects and own projects? And We've always kind of always had one project in the studio going mm-hmm. on. That's for us. Um, you know, we designed the building next door on a lot. I'm pointing at it because you can see the door there right now. And, you know, that's fun. And um, we're selling it right now. And so then we'll do the project or we might decide to build it ourselves. So there's always a project going on. It's great because we get to experiment on ourselves. Um, we our Denver studio is another 1890 building on 18th and Blake. Yeah. Um, that gosh, we bought that like eight years ago, mm-hmm. and we are moving in in two weeks. The top floor, our studio is on the ground floor, a storefront level, and the upper floor um, is a salon space. That's also where we live when we come to Denver. And it's really fun. So it's a really wide open art gallery, wow. um, place for discussions. Um, and so we're moving in in two weeks and we're really, really excited about that. Oh, uh, nice. And just having a building, you know, downtown in Modo is just an honor and exciting. And how do we get back to the, to the street? And, you know, we're very involved in Denver Downtown Partnership. And so immediately when we moved, uh, we had a tenant downstairs for a couple of years, but then we moved our studio downstairs and we immediately really put effort into our window displays. And how do we have an outward you know, face of an architecture firm and, you know, just got excited about that. How do we animate the street and again, engage whoever's walking by in the discussion of design? Yeah, I like that. It has a nice presence to it there on the street and it's such a great street there. Um, yeah, it's evolved a lot. Yeah. Do you get many people just walking in? We do actually. Yeah? We yeah. do get people walking in. Hopefully that'll come back more, right? Because people want to come in and hopefully we're there and, you know, people are coming back to the studio. I think people really want to be together. Nice. So if I go and just come on in, it's not going to be come too weird. In. All right. Come on coffee, hang out. We'll give you the tour. Yeah. Good. You might just have me like sitting at a desk for a while. And Please do. Have to kick me out. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have that in both of our studios. It's fun. People just pop in. Oh, nice. Cool. All right. What about uh, a ground up project that, that, really kind of summed up maybe your design theories or ideas or experience or. Mm-hmm. I would say metal house. Metal house. Metal house encompasses, you know, not only architecture, site planning, interior design, landscape, 
collaborating with the client and art curating and artists uh, and other artists that we worked with. So that was all encompassing where we were kind of we had lands, yeah, we were doing able, everything. We have a convergent practice and that's very important to us. And so when we get the opportunity to do that, it really takes our philosophy and our passion to a whole nother level in terms of what we're delivering. We love, we call it jamming with other band members. We love collaborating with other colleagues and things, but there are those special moments when we can take on and, and really you know, integrate a lot of our design thinking with the right client. And it's amazing. Talk about those aha moments. It's really great. And you're just taking in, you know, we, we typically, like I was mentioning Milan, you know, in non-COVID years, we go slow day every year and just, you know, just seeing things in that house and like, oh my gosh, we saw that that year. And, and just pulling that in, we collaborated with the Haas brothers on a two-sided marble fireplace. Yeah. We went to Lisbon and saw it getting carved and I met with them at their LA studio. And I've since taken two classes at Anderson Ranch from Simon Haas. <laughs> um, I took an amazing class this summer on Procreate with him. And so just seeing how it just makes us just wider, you know, like, broader it's really awesome yeah i saw that fireplace that looked sweet it's uh, sweet it's beautiful yeah was, was that cnc or is it all it's carved it's hand carved hand carved their technique that the people were that were doing it in lisbon is the same technique that has been around for centuries so we went to you know the studio where it was getting carved and there were like you know, Madonna's, right? <laughs> like, like classical pieces. Everywhere. Yeah, hilarious. And then there's like a couple of brother pieces. It was so wild. Wow. Yeah. You know? You're like, do you think you can do a fireplace? And they're like, yeah, I think it's we can so do a fireplace. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's neat to see that art form. I mean, gosh, we were in Rome two weekends ago and we went to Villa Borghese. We've never been there. We've been to Rome several times. And, and just walking through that museum and just being up and close and personal. That's what's cool about traveling right now, actually with things less crowded and just being up against Bernini, you know, sculptures. And it just totally takes your breath away. Takes your breath away. And then you immediately, it infuses you and it manifests itself in, into your work. Hmm. That's nice to be able to take that time. I feel like I'm so rushed with everything and I'm taking the kids here and there and I'm trying to do this and this and to be able to step back and, Get that inspiration. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we've always been really inspired by art. And we always make a point of, you know, we have to be in California next week. And we're going to Stanford and going to the Anderson Art Museum and the Cantor. Like we're taking a, an afternoon um, and going to SF MoMA. And we actually haven't seen the Snow Edit edition yet. And just, you know, like planning it in and just going, you know, this is stuff that we're super interested in seeing. Um, yeah. My wife and I just won a uh, AIA travel scholarship and we're going to uh, Norway. And all we're doing is we're studying nine Snowheda buildings. And so we're just doing a Snowheda tour, going up to the Reindeer Pavilion and the Under Restaurant and just hitting all that. Congratulations. Uh, we, we're That's like, we need deal. to get out. I cannot wait to hear about this. Yeah. When are you going? Uh, probably next summer. So we need to wait till we can line up the best grandma babysitters. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I'm planning to make that into kind of a mini podcast series and doing oh, that I can't and wait. being in their office. We have not been in Norway. I'm really dying. So yeah. I definitely would love to get your notes. Nice. If you had to choose any of those moments, do you have a mountaintop moment that really just stands out of the best time in your practice? 
we're very much forward thinking and um, you know forward looking, and, and so we have to actually be pointed about looking in the rearview mirror. Mm. So it's kind of always the next project we're working on or the project we're working on right now. But I would say you know being honored with Colorado from the year last year yeah. was really a highlight. Uh, very humbling. Very humbling, and you know. I remember getting a phone call and I was like on a photo shoot with a couple of colleagues and, you know, we were in August and COVID was a few months in and, you know, the craziness that was going on with that. And, you know, I was blown away. I just, it, I, I was almost speechless. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And I literally, I looked, I looked at someone I was with, I was like, this has been really hard. <laughs> it, it, it was the lift that we needed the, to have. It was it the that lift time. that we needed. It was nice. just, you know, it, everything had just, you know, been hard for everybody. And just whenever, whenever you're recognized by your peers is really humbling, like John was saying. And, and I think, and then it motivates you, right? So it's hmm. like, okay, wow. What's just, next? What's next? Yeah, what's and, next? And, and how can we continue to elevate and continue to excel and it's very motivating yeah i remember it must have been maybe three or four years ago at an aia conference and you guys like took home a ton of awards a bunch of projects and i saw you guys afterwards and it it was like that looks fun. That's where I want to be. It was like celebrating, like drinks flowing, your team around you. And it was like, that looks nice. Uh, yeah. No, it's fun. And, you know, and just, you know, what we, what we talk a lot about as a firm and we talk a lot about as professionals is this is the type of career that just you keep building. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to just hold on to what you just learned mm-hmm. when you've completed a project and take the next one even further. Mm. And that's really exciting. And and we have really, really great projects that we're working on right now that are doing that. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I loved the conversation about R and D and it's something that we're really making sure that we plan into our work plans, you know, because it's easy to kind of just like keep plowing through and just make sure we're like, okay, what's the thing we want to be innovative on, on this project? What's the thing we can push um, here, how do we get the collective voices involved? Because everyone has something to contribute. And so, like you said, it's almost that pause. We're kind of planning in, like right now, we've kind of planned in a little bit of a pause with us. And it's what we've learned, having gone through a couple of economic cycles, is it's really easy to kind of get carried away when the faucet's on full blast. And, mm. and so, we're really trying to like drink one glass at a time <laughs> and, and just, you know, have plan in a pause, plan in that thoughtfulness and we feel we're better leaders. Our other leaders are better. We all are operating. Um, the work's better. The work is better. Yeah. Our team appreciates that and they feel appreciated by that as well. Yeah. So we're making some pretty conscious decisions right now in terms of our now and our future of our firm. Well, and that has to be so hard. I mean, you said you're at 40 people. That's a big firm. And it's like that thing that kind of, Size bigger than medium and not quite huge, but uh, it's a lot of people to be managing and paying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it is, and and um, it's something we go to bed with every night, and we yeah. have for you know kind of many years, and it's just kind of part of who we are. But I think you know what's really driving us right now is just really excellent design mm-hmm. and, and making sure. And we always say it's kind of one of the most sustainable things you can do is just 
create great, lasting, timeless architecture, you know, because ultimately there's embodied energy in building materials in anything you do. So make sure it's good. Yeah. And contributes to our communities. It kind of goes back to what does community mean to you? And community is our fabric. You know, we have such a responsibility and an opportunity to contribute and make sure that it is moving forward in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Like the market force on architects is constantly trying to push us into a commodity space. Yeah. Right. Or so it's hard to kind of be that um, successful, really thoughtful, you know, excellent design architect. A lot of times it's pushing you to either kind of be in academia, mm-hmm. right? Or um, have a really theory based firm, or you're kind of in the more commodity space. And so we're kind of like in between, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but, uh, yeah. you know, you know, going back to, you know, running a 40 person firm, we can't take all the credit. We have an amazing team okay. and, uh, it's hands on deck. Everybody's with us all the time. We got a great uh, middle level management team that's, you know, takes a lot of burden off of us so we can focus on design and business development. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's been really cool to see the, the leadership development and lean in really hard on it. We get leadership coaches, we read, mm-hmm. um, we share articles, uh, we actively talk mm-hmm. about it. I think what's pretty unique about our firm is we have equal female male representation at every level of our firm. Huh. And huh. that's really rare in the architecture yeah. world. Um, and so that's something we haven't even been that conscious about it because we kind of don't even think about it, right? It's like, it just, you know, gotta, you rise up here and there's a lot of opportunity. Just, you know, come in and bring your passion and, and your dedication to yeah. design and being with people, right? And being a good manager and you'll excel. Yeah. It's so hard, like you're saying, to be thoughtful and get paid for it. <laughs> and that idea of going further towards academia or being able to run a firm. And I really appreciate that about you guys of being good business people and architects and here in Denver and in Aspen. And yeah, it's just been fun to meet you and talk with you and thanks for continuing to make good architecture. So thank you for, 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 yeah, inviting us and creating the sharing. You're, You're part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking my language with the sharing. I love just hearing stories and, getting good advice. So thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks Adam. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. It tells you a lot when you get a client that wants to be transactional. It's a good point, John. Really good point. Um, So we're we're quickly identifying those people, you know, in the interview process, who who they might be. uh, Yeah. So, and and I think that's okay to say no, you know, even though you might need that project, but there's a project behind it somewhere that hasn't popped up yet. You'll probably be happier with. So it's, it's a a bit of a gamble. Yeah. And and that's what, you know, it it seems nice. Obviously you guys have such a great body of work that, the the clients and like the sort of art um, connections and things like the client, your type of clients can find you now, you know, uh, but that idea of trying to, I guess, a identify who, who you are as a firm and then try to find the clients that help fit 
that you match with um, is kind of where we're at of like, how does that work? But yeah, yeah, it sounds like you're doing well with it. You know, I think at the beginning of COVID, we actually leaned in really hard with our SEO and, um, hmm. and it's something we hadn't really done before. Um, and you know, like hired an SEO company and, you know, because we were like, we really want to make sure that, you know, cause no one knew what was going on at the beginning of COVID. Right. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we were like really expanding into other markets. And I listened to actually, um, business of architecture podcast, which I actually listened to a lot. I really oh yeah. And so, and it, like, I listened to this guy and he was like, Oh my God, was one of the best things I did for my company. Like it, it, it made me national and we, we, we like being national and we, we want to do work, you know, in other places and we are. Um, and so, so that, that's been interesting, but, but what's interesting with the SEO is we're getting a lot of inquiries con- kind of constantly. And so we're really having to practice kind of what you're saying right now. What, what is the right fit? What is the thing that this may seem like a good idea or something that can fill time right now, but in six months, this is going to be one of these log jams. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So, um, it's also so there, you know, some of these projects or, or potential clients have a really small scope or, and you just got to like, it's not about the scope. It's about the client, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, that's what you're, you know, and then it could be like the coolest project ever, a huge house, whatever it might be, but you got to yeah. sniff out that client because that might be a nightmare. So um, I think in his small projects sometimes roll into bigger stuff. Yeah. 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 So I love that. I love that, John. It's really about the client, you know, and you know, God, I, I don't know if you read Art Gensler's book and he's just like, he's just badass, right? And, and um, I mean, he, he has a certain kind of firm, right? But he as a business owner and like someone who developed this, there's a lot to learn from him. And um, he wants all his clients to keep coming back to him. He, he, they, perfect, they don't do any marketing. He perfected being basically like a trusted advisor to clients mm. to the point where clients would not do things without engaging Gensler. And Perkins and Will is the same way, Adam. They are fucking badass. Mm. Like, it's insane. And they have the type of clients, like, like they have clients that are, they're, that are, will not buy real estate without engaging with them Hmm. in that process. So do you have a lot of that? Like, is it a little different with residential clients of of return clients? I mean, obviously people can build multiple homes or, or. Yeah. We like 60% repeat clients is our, is our percentage. Um, And and we, and we really lean in on being people's trusted advisors. Hmm. And, and I think it goes back to sharing what they're saying. In order to be someone's trusted advisor, you have got to be open. You've got to be, you know, transparent in who you are as, as a professional, as a human, because um, I think that builds trust. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think the other thing, uh, I think most cool clients that we have found, they are actually really interested in you running a company and starting a company. And they want to give advice. Hmm. They want to, like, be on that journey with you. Hmm. It's It's really, like, you know. It's fun for us. We've you know now have had hundreds of clients, and and I think each one of our clients feels like they helped build us. They're, they discovered us. They just it's yeah. right. They each yeah. feel like they discovered us, and like in a really cute, nice yeah. way. It's yeah. like we let them. Yeah, and, that's you know, fine. sure. Yeah, you, you paid. You paid for this computer. You paid for whatever. Yeah. Absolutely, exactly. and it's like yeah. making them feel like they're the most important people, and just you know, and well, that's that's part of our. Um, 
core, one of our core values, you know, beyond accolades, awards, publications, you know, client satisfaction is number one. Hmm. Like a client that invites us to dinner or recommends us or like sends us holiday gifts <coughs> years after the project, that's, that means more than getting another award. Hmm. That seems like such a, a balance of still having high design but pleasing a client right it's it's really easy and you see uh, most firm a lot of firms that that go with their clients wishes and ends up being bad projects but you're kind of saying like when you you're pushing those clients and you give them something better and then they understand that but yeah and again it goes back to being selective with your clients mm. and making sure that they they want to be pushed yeah you know and we'll we'll be really upfront with clients we'll say We've never done this before. Hmm. You know, are you into this journey? And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's how you deliver that. Like, give them hmm. the confidence that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, I think it goes back to that transparency. And it, and and most clients, I think they, they, I think at the end of the day, people want passion. Right? And they, and they want to work with people who are, like, just as passionate about their project as they are about their project. And like I, I joke around with clients all the time. I'll say this. I'm like, this is really keeping me up at night. And they love that when I yeah. say that, right? I'm like, oh my God, I've been really, I've been up at night thinking about this aspect of your project. And like, I kind of say it tongue in cheek and they love it because they're like, oh my God, you're that invested. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's true. You guys just go home on the weekends and just talk about the projects. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, exactly. we, we're good about, you know, separating it too, but like yeah. we are really consumed about it. like like john was mentioning metal house we, we took clients there you know two days ago and you know and she's been in our house since november and i'm like how's it going and she's like there's a few things i need follow up with the with the with the contractor our job's done i fucking send a list to you know like later that day to the contractor a few follow-up things yeah. you know what i mean yeah like that service yeah and and that's what clients really appreciate and it's like it, it doesn't end and um and that Five minutes of my time bought a, a lifetime of a, of a client, and so it's really interesting. Like, so on Monday, we have a Monday morning meeting. So this Monday, we're teaching effective and successful communication, huh. and we have this four points of accountability that we have. We have a project in the middle, and like you have to balance. You have to balance client. You have to balance design. You have to balance deliverables. You have to balance you know, like account accounting, hmm. project management, and only if you balance all four of those things. Do you have a successful project? Hmm. And so it's a graphic that we've developed. So we're developing another graphic for Monday about successful communication because there's you have email, you have filing, you have texting, you have the phone, and you have you know um, even taking like let's say you're working in Miro or virtual whiteboard or Procore, you know you have to download those every so often. So you have you know so it's only if you balance all those things that you actually have successful communication. And, and, and so we're coaching this because we're not all together. Right. And so, um, and when to use which, which outlet of communication. And so that is something. And then the following week, we're actually doing a whole thing on service and what it means to be service. We're the waiter, right? So like when you go to a restaurant, you don't ask for the menu. You don't ask where your food is. If you are, you have shitty fucking service, mm. right? <laughs> and so we're no different. Part of our job is to anticipate and to make sure that our person sitting at the table feels really comfortable. And, and so 
Um, if you look at it that way, kind of, and because everyone has been in that experience before. And, and then it just goes back to what John was saying of just do a good job and the next job will come. Yeah. Right. Like you, yeah, you, you're hitting all, all those job. things. And then, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then sometimes you have to make that decision where it's like, okay, I'm you know losing my shirt on this project, but boy, is that going to photograph? Well, it's going to get awards or however you want to market it. And, you know, in marketing, you know, you know, takes on its own life. Or like restaurants, like restaurants are not money makers, right? Right. right? But our team loves working on them. Yeah. And, we love, and we love working on them. You know, so we always try to have a restaurant or two going on because they're fun and then you can actually go there, you know, after it's done or yeah. you know, um so it's balancing then those kind of things and like what are the things you want to work on versus you know, um yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I think ultimately at the end of the day it's following your heart and just make sure you don't work for assholes. Make sure you work for people that appreciate. We all make that mistake. We have an asshole right now. I mean, you you always have a couple of assholes. Yeah. And and so, but you want to have less assholes. <laughs> you only want to have a few. And, and you know, and and um, and like I said, just do a really good job and say what you're going to do. Mm. The other thing we've had to learn when you do have those clients that that you are interested in taking it from whatever reason, but you are on kind of a limited fee then just be really deliberate about where you're going to push things mm-hmm. and, then, and then don't push other things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just go, okay. 80% of this we've done before. We have a detail for that. I'm not saying regurgitate shit, but you have a foundation detail. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've got, yeah. got it. Now 20% here, this is where this thing's going to sing. And this is where we're going to really put the energy because we have limited, so we've got to be really pointed about where we're where we're spending the time. Yeah, huh. I know it's so it's so hard to, to be like, especially when you're early on, being like, I have to make everything the best thing that's ever been designed, and and I'm never going to get another project. And this has to yeah, be yeah. the, and, the you, and you will, thing. and you will, yeah, and you and you are, and that's why you are who you are, you know, and, and but but yeah, don't let it eat you inside, <laughs> but. You know, just I think you also it's motivation for sure. I also think you get to a point like where you do enough of that and you just start kind of getting a little fucking pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're just like, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm giving so much life to your project and Yeah, and you don't value it. Yeah. And so you know what? And so then you get to that point where there's better fits out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying like a yoke, you know, we've worked plenty of projects where it's kind of someone that we're, we believe in and we want to give them like a deal or because we believe in what they're doing and we want to help them. Well, it's like, yeah, if they're not assholes and they, they need it and yeah, it, it checks those boxes. and um, Yeah. And they're going to talk to other people or, you know, and stuff, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a journey and, we're constantly evolving and we're very different, like I said today, than we were a year ago. And last month. <laughs> like we just keep growing and getting better and sharper and and yeah. reading and talking to colleagues and yeah. you know, you know, even email, like email sucks, right? Email is like this like stupid, like huge thing that's in our lives, right? And like how to manage it. And <clears throat> I'm talking a lot with like our internal team about it because I, and I, I mean, I'm suggesting to them, I go, you guys, I talk to colleagues about email. Like, how, how do you manage it? Because, because we're all dealing with email. 
but it's a reality of what we have going on. You can't ignore it. Yeah. So you have to come up with parameters and systems that allow you to actually use it as a tool and not let the t- not let it overtake you. Yeah. Because it's not an option to not re- read your emails. Have you figured that out? Um, yeah. I mean, I set parameters for myself. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. um, and they change. You know, and, and then I've shared it. You know. With others, because I'm seeing a trend right now of people just not reading emails. Mm. I just think they're overwhelmed by it. And you read you read articles about especially the Gen Z generation that emails are almost an invasion of private, you know, like they fight like it's just not, and this is what's prompting actually what we're doing at Monday morning meetings. I'm even finding internally some of our team members are just not like, you know, and like I hate to say I'm I'm I'm, I'm their boss, like reply to a fucking email that I sent you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, come on. Like a week will go by and I'll be like, I asked you to file that. I just went like I just filed it myself. Like, did you get my email? You know? <laughs> so, you know, just stuff like that and just, you know, working in the, in the world war and, and then just, you know, again, just coming up with those systems. I, I listened to a really good podcast on um, NPR on Sunday about, um, um, you know, we just, we just started um, every other Friday off oh, nice. with our team. Um, and, and so the whole podcast is about four day work week and how to get there. What's it called? Um, oh God, I forget the name of it. It was on NPR. And, I still have it in my email. Yeah. We'll forward it to you. Yeah. And, and could, I don't have it. So I got it in my email. Right. As opposed to it's a message, which you can never find it. So, um, but anyway, it's about focus time. Right. So like I, I immediately in Monday morning meeting was like, Hey guys, I'm really encouraging everyone to reflect on when is your best focus time? Because basically what the book is saying is like you on average, you have like four hours of really good focus time a day. Um, and so really figure out when that is and don't have meetings during that time. Actually use that for what you need it hmm. for. And, and so I gave, we gave agency to our team on Monday to be like, reflect on it, figure out when your best focus time is, talk to your internal teams and shuffle shit around. Yeah. So you're, so you're not getting interrupted. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy. Just like I can just be answering emails all day. And all day. Lately, all day. I've been you know, oh, trying yeah. to, like, okay, I turn it off for, at, an hour or two hours, all, whatever it all is. Time. But, yeah. But yeah. you know what's amazing? When you're in meetings, like we're often in meetings all day and not really on email, so much of that shit just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of works. It's yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's okay to get in the, you know, see the emails coming through and be like, if there's something hot, you got to deal with it, but like just flag it. You'll get to it later on that afternoon. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I can't have anything in my inbox. That's, that's hard. So, so like for me, like I said a number and I said, I just, I've been talking about this a lot this week because I've been trying to collect people on good email management because I'm like, you got to fucking read your email. So um, like for me, I just said a number, like I have a threshold on my inbox that I try to stay hmm. in. And then it's kind of a game for me. And I, like, not, I don't want that OCD about it. I'm like still going to bed at night, but I'm like, you know what? If it's getting above like 500, I try to stick to 500 emails in my inbox, right? Yeah. And if it's getting above that, then I'm like, I need to file. I need to like spend a little management time on this. And so, but if I'm within that 500, I'm feeling good. Or like, don't start a Monday with unread emails. Like, just don't. It's just bad because then you're already starting behind. Or don't go 24 hours without having, you know, only go 24 hours without having any unread emails. So I've been like coaching, creating some parameters or some goals around it that are manageable, but that, because, you know, it's just like picking up your house. Like, if you just like let it go, 
then you can just be overwhelming and then you'll never do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, thanks. Have a great weekend and congrats on that travel. Uh, yeah, that's huge. Fellowship. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Norway. Yeah. Norway. Yeah. yeah. We'll have, to, oh my we'll have God. to hang out in real life sometime. For sure. Yeah, let's do it. I want to do some like a Aspen party or something sometime. Get get all the Aspen firms together. Uh, I'm going to start do interviewing more of mountain architects. So, yeah. All right. Awesome, all right. Well, thank Thanks, you, Adam. See you. You too. Bye. Bye. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.